0: Welcome to episode 53. Do you have any undiagnosed gut problems? Regular pain, bloating, diarrhea, soreness after eating any particular foods, or even a history of antibiotic use? And hint, hint, a history doesn't necessarily mean a long one. I'm talking even one or two prescriptions in your entire life. If any of these things cause you problems, then you could be dealing with the complex gut health problem of SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And on today's show, we have a SIBO expert to help you figure out if this may be the issue that you're actually dealing with. All right, you ready? Let's jump into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Welcome to another cracking episode of the show. I have a super exciting guest for you today, whom is amassing a big following online and is a bit of an Instagram celeb in the health space. We have Kirsten Swales here with us today, whom is a practicing naturopath, nutritionist, and Western medical herbalist and has been practicing for the last eight years and she specializes in gut health and even more specifically in the rapidly growing field of SIBO, which for those that don't know is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Originally from South Africa, Kirsten runs a global service working in Australia, South Africa and Europe and now primarily consults with clients worldwide via her online platform from her now Bali-based office and she is now lucky enough to call Indonesia home. Her primary focus is helping women heal their digestive issues so they can enjoy a loving relationship with their body and food, and for some, so that they may feel normal, sometimes for the first time in their entire lives. And who doesn't want that, right? So I'm super grateful that she's made time to jump on here with us today. So a big warm welcome to the show, Kirsten. How are you doing?
1: I am amazing. Thanks, Mehdi.
0: No worries. I'm so excited to have you here. Have you, have you had a good day?
1: <laughs> Wonderful day. It's still morning here in Bali, so I bet it started off well. How about
0: you? Yeah, great morning. Great morning connecting with some other health professionals, which was good. So but been looking forward to this.
1: <laughs>
0: Me too. I'm glad. I'm glad. So let's <laughs> let's dive in. So what what is SIBO exactly? Because I think unless you've sort of done a bit of research into gut health or have had, you know, your own personal issues with gut health, the word SIBO is likely to be pretty new to a lot of the listeners. So
1: Can you tell us what is it? Sure, I'd love to. So as you said, it is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And even myself as a naturopath, before I got it, I was like, oh, it's that thing that you do the FODMAP diet. So what it actually is, it's an overgrowth of bacteria in your small intestine, but it doesn't have to be bad bacteria. It's just that your bacteria has got in the wrong spot. And it can cause like the most common symptom of SIBO is the bloating. So you look a little bit three months pregnant, six months pregnant, eight months pregnant. And the defining bit between the small intestine and large intestine is the timing. So if it's one to three hours after eating. You can also have issues with food intolerances. You can have issues with your number twos. That could be diarrhea, constipation. And then it goes further than the digestive system as well because what's allowed it to come there in the first place. So you can have issues with your nervous system, with tiredness, with headaches, so much,
0: yeah, so much, so many things. So is it, is it often a, a secondary result of an underlying illness or disease?
1: It can be the underlying cause. So it's like the number one cause of IBS, IBS symptoms. So up to 84% of people that have irritable bowel syndrome actually have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth as the cause of that. But then what went wrong to allow SIBO to get there in the first place? Because the body has all these amazing protective mechanisms in place, so somewhere along the line, something's broken down to allow the bacteria to get into the small intestine where it shouldn't be.
0: Right, and and as you said, I guess before, it's bacteria that is not always bad. It's meant it maybe similar to like candida. You know, most a lot of people in the Western world that consume too much sugar, obviously have candida Mm. overgrowth, but it's naturally meant meant to be there, but just in the appropriate amounts, right?
1: Yeah. So the small intestine should be relatively sterile. And so you get SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. You can also get CFO, which is the small intestinal fungal overgrowth, and that could be the candida overgrowth because candida is fungal. Yeah. So the small intestine should be relatively sterile. And the most common train of thought is that the bacteria in the SIBO have retrograde flowed up from the large intestine, usually through a faulty ileocecal valve. There's a little spot between your belly button and your right hip. And if you get cramping there, that's the spot of your ileocecal valve. So there might be something going on. I know I had that, but I never really knew what it was about. But there's more recent research that is matching the bacterial DNA of the SIBO bacteria. And the bacterial DNA more closely matches the DNA of the bacteria in the oral cavity. So then it could be coming down from the mouth and maybe the stomach acid isn't strong enough to kill it. And then it gets into the small intestine. Yeah, we shouldn't have too much of the bacteria in there. It should be in the large intestine mostly.
0: Yeah, right. That's really interesting. And you just mentioned that you had one of the symptoms you mentioned. So can you tell us, I guess, is that why you sort of went down the SIBO path as a specialist because of your own experience? A hundred
1: percent. I probably had all the symptoms. (laughs) So as horrible, as horrible as they were, and they were awful, at least now I'm very grateful because I can relate to what my clients are going through. So the symptoms that I had, I was just always aware, oh my gosh, from my first memory of food, that food was a bit of an issue for me and I didn't really understand why. I just thought I had lack of willpower or I just wasn't strong enough, but food was a struggle. So I had learned my behavior that I felt better if I didn't eat. So during my teenage years, I'd go for days without eating, but then because I get so hungry, I'd overeat when I did it. And then every time that I ate, my stomach would just puff out and I couldn't understand how I got fat so quickly, but I wasn't getting fat. I was getting bloated. So that was one of my main ones. Yeah, And then... It wasn't until I was a naturopath that, that I realized just how constipated I was <laughs> because I didn't realize that we are meant to have a bowel motion every day because people don't talk about it. Right. So I it's probably going like two or three times a week. I had really bad acne and um, it's all gone now, thank goodness I'm so grateful. I had brain fog anytime I tried to eat a vegetable. I went vegetarian in college because that's heralded as the most healthy diet of them all. And so I went vegetarian for six months. I felt so bad because my digestive system just wasn't strong enough to handle it. So I had so much water weight all over my body and that's a sign of inflammation. I had really bad brain fog. I gained about 10 kilos and my skin just got even worse. So those were my symptoms. Um wow. And then also I developed a histamine intolerance, which is the uh, when you... I just remember it vividly because I got home from yoga and I just had, I was so hungry and all I had in the fridge was cans of tuna. (laughs) So I ate two cans of tuna in a row. Funny. And as soon as I ate it, I got such a fast heart rate. I got a splitting headache and my anxiety went through the roof and I couldn't sleep that night. So those are signs of histamine intolerance. And my body also got very stiff, which is another sign of inflammation. I was teaching yoga at the time and I couldn't even touch my toes on oh, my body. My
0: poor body. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. so how like what's the what's the sort of timeline on these symptoms from when you first started noticing them to I guess resolution?
1: I think it ebbed and flowed. So I had found ways to manage my symptoms through food. So I found that if I stayed away from the starchy carbohydrates like rice and bread and I ate more lean vegetables and lean proteins. I felt okay. Yep. But then as soon as it was like walking a tightrope. as soon as I tried to eat anything else, it would just fall apart. When I found out that I had SIBO, that was in February, 2016. And then I did some antimicrobial work and a little bit of fasting. And I cleared my SIBO in three months, but I'd say that it took me about a good year after that to feel like I was healed. And then when my, when I think about feeling healed, it's like I was forgetting how sick I was. I forgot what it was like to be bloated. I forgot how scared I used to be when I went to a restaurant and tried to order for a menu. I got, I wouldn't travel because I had no idea what the food would be like. So all those fears started to fall away. And then you look back, and you're like, ah. Oh. It's been ages since that happened. Yes, So it can take a while, but um, yeah, Yeah. it doesn't mean that you feel horrible all the way through your treatment. Like the antimicrobial part might not be so fun the whole way through, but that's only four to six weeks. And I find like with my clients, a lot of the time you'll feel 80% better in 20% of the time. And then to get that last 20%, you might spend a bit more time. So that could be antimicrobials and then gut work and gut repair. And I made so many mistakes through my treatment. So with all these mistakes I made, I know where the pitfalls are. And so right from the get go, I'm working with my clients on expanding the diet back out, getting them eating vegetables again, getting able to tolerate vegetables again. I have a lot of people that come from the keto diet or the carnival diet that just haven't looked at a vegetable in two years and getting them to a place where they can actually tolerate them, digest them and feel good from them is really good.
0: Yeah nicely yeah, I think I think that's so important and particularly in I guess self management and potentially even western medical approaches the reintegration into normal life is kind of forgotten about it's just an acceptance Mm. of like well that causes the symptoms so remove it forever and it's just not sustainable and and, and it results in the kind of stuff you talked about the ebbs and flows because you know we're humans and we need diversity and variety and and nutrition (laughs) you know
1: so yeah yeah Yeah. and there's so much connection with food as well. So if there's like an alcoholic or a smoker or a gambler, you can 100% just give them up, but we can't 100% just give up food. So it's finding a way that we can oh, be okay with it. Food fear is real. I would freak out the level of anxiety that I would have if someone asked me out to dinner. Then goes like, oh my God, I don't know how my body's going to react. It's it's real, it's horrible, and it can become so isolating. And then that isolation just compounds I don't want to call it but maybe your condition.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I and the psychological component to that too is is probably goes a bit deeper and can have some long-term potentially traumatic effects like becoming an eating disorder or, you know, disordered eating and just having poor relationships with food. Like, you know, there's that side of the conversation as well.
1: A hundred percent. I'd say almost almost every single client I see has a hard relationship with food. And it's so nice when you can get that food freedom back and you get freedom from your life, freedom from feeling isolated, freedom from the shame, because there's often a lot of shame as well. I yeah. thought my body was broken. I thought my life was over, but it's not.
0: It's not. You're here. You're here with us now.
1: Yay.
0: I'm glad. So I've got a question Do you think SIBO has been around for a very long time or do you think it's just part of this um, sort of or the result of this really unhealthy culture and society that the Western world has kind of created with its, you know, sugar and convenience and bliss points and high, high, you know, sugar and carbon, it's just resulted in now all of a sudden everybody has cancer, diabetes and SIBO and all of these things. Or has SIBO been around for a long time in abundance as well? We just haven't had the capacity to diagnose it. <sighs>
1: I think it's been around for a long, long, long time, just like cancer has, but not in the abundance that it is now. So there's references to it in the scientific research papers from the 1800s. Wow. But it just was under a, different, under a different name. I think it was just called uh, dysbiosis of the small intestine, something similar. Yeah. But it's just so, so common now because our food isn't what it used to be. And the lifestyles that we lead are just so sympathetic nervous system dominant. It's just go, 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 go. And then that has an impact on our parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and digest. So our digestion massively suffers. Even if it's not to do with the food, to do with the stress or being too busy, eating in the car, eating at your desk, not even taking time to chew your meals. I had one client, I was saying, I was saying it from the beginning, um, but her bloating was like an eight out of 10. And I always talk about just going through the basics of how to eat because sometimes we forget that not everybody knows. So I was really asking her to take some time to sit down, eat the meal, chew your mouthfuls. And then about six weeks through, the bloating had come down a little bit, but then it would go back up again. So we went back through the basics again. She's like, okay, I haven't haven't been doing that, but eating really fast, like five minutes. I was like, okay, just for this week, do an experiment for me and chew your each mouthful 30 times. And then she came back the next week and the bloating was down to a two out of 10. Wow. So sometimes it's not about the food. Yeah. It's just about how we're eating our food and taking the time to acknowledge that we are sitting down to eat. Because if you're eating while in front of your laptop and you get a horrible email from someone, your body's going to go into stress mode. Um, you can just imagine it. If someone was to jump around the corner with a gun, you take this little sharp intake of breath and that makes your stomach contract. So if you're in a stressed out state while you're trying to eat, you're doing yourself such a disservice. And uh, that's, that's doable. Like everybody has that available to them. You can do that anywhere way you like. You can take some deep breaths better than any supplement, better than any herbal medicine, it's just taking some deep breaths and eating your food.
0: The link is in the show notes below. I think there's like there's a plethora of things that we're not taught about our biology that we're just we we just assume because you're a human, you've got DNA, and some somewhere in that DNA is just the understanding of how you should function or operate or engage with your own biology. And I think you're so right. We're not taught taught to eat. We're not taught how to breathe properly. We're not taught how. We're not even taught after 13 years of school minimum how to use our memory capacity. You know, I like. Know.
1: I know. It's crazy, yeah. And what you said about breathing—it's so true. Like most people nowadays are doing the paradoxical breathing, where they're breathing into their chest rather than the abdomen. Yeah. So even that alone can help with digestion too.
0: Oh, absolutely. One of the things you know, I, I sort of teach with my clients is yeah, a couple of different breathing techniques, um, and mm-hmm. yeah, people are just—it's just so foreign to people that they're like, I have never actually yeah. consciously thought about my breath.
1: <laughs> I know, I know, I know, and it's available to everyone.
0: yeah there's oxygen to go around you can have as much as you want
1: (laughs) yeah 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 100 percent.
0: so for the listeners out there that don't know if they like might have SIBO or they definitely have gut issues but they've been on that same kind of journey that you've discussed about your own experience Mm -hmm. like what should they be looking for or identifying in themselves to know if maybe SIBO is what's going on for me
1: Well, they could start with a food journal. So you could just uh, monitor your food, food and mood journal. So just checking what you're eating, like say over three, five days, even a week, and then how quickly you're having symptoms and what the symptoms are and the severity of them. That's a lovely way to start getting in tune with your body. And then if you suspect SIBO, even slightly suspect SIBO, I would totally recommend testing. So anybody worldwide can order a test. There's lots of different labs around the world. And as you can get a at-home breath test kit. And then you do a special prep diet for one or two days, depending on if you're constipated or have diarrhea. And then you eat a special diet to reduce the fermentation in your small intestine. You drink either a lactulose or a glucose solution and then you test your breath for every 20 minutes. And this gives you a representation of the amount of fermentation because so the bacteria, when they are breaking down food, then they ferment it and release gas. So if you have these bacteria or the methanogens are actually a thing called archaea. So if you have them in your small intestine, once you have this lactulose or glucose solution, if they're in there, they will ferment it and release the gas. So then you can see how much gas in what levels and at what stage of your digestive system they're in. So it comes back with that one.
0: Yeah. So breath tests first up, yeah. And I suppose the, if, the, if it was dealt with in a western medical setting i'm i'm going to assume that the immediate response is antibiotics
1: a lot of the time, yeah. So there's the three main treatment routes. There's the pharmaceutical antibiotics. They are rifaximin and neomycin. Then there's the herbal antimicrobial route. We often use the Alimax for methane SIBO and the berberine herbs for the hydrogen SIBO. And then there's also something called the elemental diet, which I've only had to bring out three times in my history with my clients because it is really, really hard physically, mentally and emotionally. And I find that while doing it is hard, But it's even harder after and I find a lot of rebound issues come back. So even if their bloating went way down, when they try and get back to the food, bloating comes back and I find it leads to a lot of binging as well because there's been that restriction. And then just back to the testing as well, why it's such a good idea? Because not always do the symptoms match up with the kind of SIBO. So I'm a really good example I've got so many, I'm such a good example for so many of the issues with people. That's
0: good. That's good.
1: In but, a practice um, show. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I had constipation for most of my life, which usually goes hand in hand with the methane SIBO because the methanogens slow down the transit time. But my methane levels were fine and it was my hydrogen numbers that were literally off the chart. It like climb, climb, climb up the page, went off the page and then came back on the page. yay winner so if i had just gone (laughs) if i had just gone by my symptoms i would have used the wrong herbal protocol and i wouldn't have got better so i would have put in all that time money effort and not got the result so even though the test is an investment it's so worth it because you will save yourself second guessing yourself and you can come up with the right treatment protocol
0: yeah, and you know, yeah, spending a bunch of time going down the wrong path and, and mm. then crossing SIBO off the list mm. as a potential problem when in fact it was SIBO, but you just treated it incorrectly. Yeah,
1: exactly. And while treating SIBO, you can treat a whole bunch of other stuff at the same time. Because I was saying in the beginning, yes, SIBO is a condition, but what went wrong to allow it to get there. So if you can work on restoring your stomach acid, if you can work on restoring your migrating motor complex, if you can work on healing leaky gut all at the same time, then you can maybe just get so much done in a period of three months and then you can move on with your life and forget about it.
0: Yeah, right. I want to ask, uh, sort of go back to the start because you mentioned that you had experience when you sort of got a hold of it, you did a bit of fasting. Mm. Do you do that with your clients or, or how did you, what was your experience? What protocols did you do in that area? Ooh,
1: I don't do it too much with my clients just because I've had a long history of experimenting with fasting. So back even from my college days, we were doing, we'd, I loved my college. It was so good. They were so good about getting us to walk our talk and experimenting and trying what the herbs taste like. Try this experiment because if you're going to ask someone else to do it, you should really know how it feels. For sure. I've been experimenting with juice baths back in back then. And then part of the reason why I did some fasting was because there is just so much information out there and a lot of the experts are contradicting each other. And so I just got so overwhelmed, just like, well, I don't know what to eat, so I'm just not going to eat anything. (laughs) And that was my (laughs) thing. And it does help. So I did do research on how it can help with bacterial overgrowth, but you don't have to go to that level. That's just what I did through my journey because there wasn't nearly as much information as there is now. And then just to say, just because one expert might say something from a different expert doesn't make one right and the other wrong. You just can't follow everybody's advice. Otherwise, you'll never get anywhere. So now that I know what I know, um, I get such great results with my clients doing a form of like the biphasic diet and expanding it out from there alongside the herbal antimicrobials. And it's If I had to go back and do my treatment again, that's how I would do it because I got so scared of food. I had that food fear, and trying to come out from that was so so hard. That was a big chunk of my year after that healing. I had to do a lot of emotional work to come back to a place where I'm relaxed around food and actually enjoy food.
0: Yeah, for that reason. Yeah, it makes sense, and I and I assume as well. One of the most important things. One of the most important things in this. I guess, healing phase is learning to deal with stress given the um, digestive inhibition that comes as a result of stress too. Would that be fair to say?
1: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And you can start working on that from... Day dot. It's just learning how to manage your stress because we'll always have stress. It's ha- it's not so much how stressed you are, but how you respond to the stressors in your life, and that can be different on different days. If someone scratches your car on a day when you just come out of a two-hour Yin class, it's like, oh, that's annoying. <laughs> but if it happens on a day where you've just got bill, <laughs> right. bill after bill after bill, and someone screams at you, you can just fall apart. So it's how well you respond to the stressors in your life because we're always going to have them. And consistency is key as well. So having like a form of preventative medicine, when you know how to manage your stress and find ways to expend it before it gets to be a problem, that's awesome. Yeah, I
0: definitely think stress management should be a daily activity, whether it's present or not.
1: Mm, Yep, 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 definitely. Preventative medicine. So if you have ways to, then you never get there, which is great. You have an awesome life. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. can can enjoy it, be happy and live in Bali like you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love my life. I
0: know. <laughs> um, I, I love your life because I see it on Instagram. So where you know, where can people find you online?
1: Uh, mostly Instagram. So I'm most active on there. I post stuff every day and then I post content on all the questions that my guys want to know. So I often give people ask me questions and I write posts on it and I explain different parts of it. So Instagram, I am Kirsten Swales, naturopath. And then my website is currently my name, KirstenSwales.com, but I'm just about to launch SIBOclinic.com, which is Ooh, a bit exciting. That's Next exciting. Day. Yeah. I know. I'm really excited. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's great. And for, for all <laughs> know, the listeners, be, like, I'll, I'll have all your details below in the show notes so that everyone can connect with um, you and... Yeah, so there'll be no problem getting in touch with you at all.
1: Ah, you're a legend. Thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, that's fine. Now, I'm really grateful that you've spent some time hanging out with me here today, but I like to ask this final question of all my guests, and that is, what is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about?
1: Oh, so I remember that one. Um, oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh <gasps> on this I knew this question was coming and I forgot <laughs> I think just knowing that it's a journey and it starts with you and change comes from inspiration or desperation I would rather it come from inspiration to find people that inspire you and make it a part of your daily practice because it's not so much about the food it's not so much about what you're drinking it's about our minds and our mental state so underrated
0: love it thanks for that you're welcome. <laughs> no worries. Well, as usual, we will catch everybody on the next episode. And a big, big thank you, Kirsten, for sharing some info about SIBO. And we'll have to get you on again soon. Ah, Thanks,
1: Nettie. You're amazing. I enjoyed
0: it. No worries. All right. We'll catch you soon. Bye. See ya